Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald and my co-host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, happy post-Thanksgiving. How's it going? Will, hello. I hope you're doing great. Jerry, hello as well. Luke Walton is gone. Alvin Gentry is here. And unfortunately, the roster is still the same. So it's, uh, it's time to talk about the Sacramento Kings. He's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM, and color analyst the general manager of a WNBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer, and the true pride of French League himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, an absolute pleasure to have you. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you guys, and uh, really looking forward to a lot of things uh, to discuss, uh, not surprisingly, in King's world. Well, last time we talked, uh, I mentioned right there at the end of the podcast that the next seven to eight games between our pods were, um, were all winnable games, that everybody was within two and a half games of the King's record. Uh, They played the Timberwolves, the Raptors, the Jazz, the Sixers, Blazers, Lakers, and Memphis. And in that time, uh, the Kings figured out a way to lose some ones that they should have won and win some ones they probably should have lost and left a coach behind in the process. So we're going to start there. Um, Let's start at at, uh, Luke Walton's firing. Jerry, with a few days of hindsight and a few games between uh, the firing and and, and, uh, reality now, what are your thoughts on this? Was it a good decision or not? And uh, where did the Kings go from here? Well, that's a great question. Was it a good decision? Probably too early to tell yet, to be honest. Uh, but uh, let's face it, it, things weren't going well. And there was, uh, from a fan's perspective, I think a ownership perspective, a leadership perspective, and it just wasn't working. And uh, in truth, probably Luke, honestly, was not really the right fit for this team day one. You know, and I mean, it, it, it was a team that probably needed a lot more of a structured guy, uh, a little firmer hand as it was. And, and I think, you know, that just played out that way. Absolutely. Tony, what about you? What are you thinking from 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 the fan perspective, at least? Are you happy he's gone? Are you uh, are you hesitant? Where are you at with this? I mean, it's it's hard not to feel frustrated, I guess, in the sense that, you know, we sort of wasted the first, whatever, 15 games or so that it was the season that Luke Walton was that coach. Not that the entirety of the Kings problems are on Luke Walton's shoulders, but just, you know, a few months earlier, we had Monty McNair out here uh, putting his support behind Luke Walton, talking about how he was going to be the coach to lead this team into the playoffs. And there was a lot of skepticism amongst the fan base that this was accurate, like an accurate statement. Um, There wasn't a lot of faith in Luke Walton at the time. And I guess from that fan perspective, it's always frustrating when I, I, and this might sound like, I don't know, uh, like we're smarter than we are as a fan base. I'm not trying to pretend like I know more about basketball than anyone who works in the league professionally. But when the fans are saying for months that this Luke Walton thing is not going to work and it takes the team some time to catch up to the fan narrative. That's always a little bit frustrating because you want the guys in charge of the team to be smarter than, than us. And I'm, again, I'm not trying to say that we're always right or we are smarter or anything like that, but it is that, uh, that kind of playing catch up with what the narrative already is that it's hard not to look back at this first month of the season and not be frustrated that this coaching change was not made 
earlier or in the off season when you had more time to hire somebody, figure out the plan moving forward. It just seems like everything sort of came together quickly. And now we're kind of where we are with a weird coaching change early in the season. Jerry, uh, what's your assessment on how uh, Alvin Gentry's done so far in these first four games? We've had uh, since since the uh, the Jazz game in which a fan very famously puked on the court and <laughs> Luke Walton lost his job at the end of that night. We've had a Sixers game in which they were playing without all five of their starters and in which the Kings very much should have won that game and they lost. They had a Blazers team that came in that hadn't won. They'd won one game on the road so far, but they were pretty much healthy. And the Kings beat the Blazers. They go in and play maybe the worst basketball game since James Naismith was writing the rule book uh, in the Laker game. And it went from a three quarters of just nap quality basketball to an instant classic three overtime thriller. And then they lost the other night in Memphis without John Morant against the worst defense in the league. So there, it's, there's the Kings might've fired Luke Walton, but they didn't get rid of how weird they are. And so Jerry, I guess my, I'm asking here, your assessment for Gentry over these first four games and how, how you can read what he's done, been able to do and what he's doing moving forward. Yeah, it's pretty tough in, in four games. And I mean, you know, too, it's like you said, I mean, it's a, it's a case where, you know, Chris Weber's not walking through that door. These are the same guys. And uh, so I didn't really expect Alvin to wave a magic wand and become, you know, uh, red hour back incarnated because, you know, he's got a track record. Uh, Having said all that, I mean, you know, he won two games against playoff teams uh, and lost uh, two just terrible losses to, like you say, uh, basically a, a G League 76ers team. <laughs> and uh, and then, of course, Memphis, which uh, without job, but, uh, you know, is, is, is about a, just about as bad a defensive game as I've ever seen. You know, I mean, and I've seen a lot of them, but I'm saying <laughs> that was that was just embarrassing uh, bad. Uh, you know, I mean, if you didn't know who Memphis was, you know, the Showtime Lakers couldn't have scored any easier than that. But so so mixed results. Uh, having said that, I will say this. I, I, I'm confident. I really am confident. Alvin Gentry will make improvements in this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he, he's a, he's a pro coach. He's a, he's an NBA pro basketball coach. Uh, how much he can do, uh, you know, with the roster and how much, because he is an interim coach basically, even though he has another year, but he's an interim coach. And, uh, he certainly, he's not making hundreds of millions of dollars. So, uh, you know, it's a player's league. Anybody that doesn't understand that just didn't pay attention. So, so we'll see, but I, I mean, I, I know Alvin well enough to know he, he'll make improvements in this team. How much he can with the current roster, I, I, I wouldn't count on a lot. Sure. Is there any specific improvement that you've seen in those four games that you can look to as, as something that gives you confidence? Yeah, I, I like the fact he's using his bench. You know, I, honestly, uh, you know, you can discount certain things but uh, overall I, I think that's one of if there is a strength of the Sacramento Kings I, I think it's their bench compared to some other teams I, I think they do have some legitimate quality NBA players you know that don't start and uh, of course there's some guys that that he does play and and Luke played that I don't agree with I would you know I'd say the ship sailed on Terrence Davis and Mo Harkless some time ago <laughs> and, and just move, move on. But, uh, cause you got other guys who can take those wasted minutes and do better. 
Uh, but uh, but I, I like the fact that he's going to his bench more, and I think that's a strength. And I think uh, as you go forward, I think it'll play out that way. Tony, what have you seen in regards to this transition? Are there any stats you could throw out to make Kings fans feel better or worse here? Well, the, the simple stat, the easiest answer is that the Kings had lost seven of their last eight games under Luke Walton, and they won, uh, you know, they're two and two in the Alvin Gentry era, and those two wins were against Portland and Los Angeles. You can say that the Lakers have been struggling, and, and so is Portland at times, but those are two wins over two projected playoff teams, whereas the Kings headed into those games uh, having lost a ton of them under, under Luke Walton. So that's an obvious point of improvement there. Um, something that I did notice in the in the Portland game, I believe, and again, it's we're talking about extremely small sample sizes, but there was a stretch against Portland where it was clear that they had no answer for the Tyrese Halliburton and Rashawn Holmes pick and roll. And I counted, it was coming out of halftime, where the Kings ran that same play about five or six times in a row, and it worked almost every time. So I, I like, you know, maybe if we're looking for little things in these four games, some recognition there from Gentry that he will just kind of go to what's working and exploit weaknesses. Um, and, and maybe that's something Luke Walton didn't do a ton of. I know we, uh, it's tough now because Rashawn Holmes has been out for the last two games, but something that we've talked about on this podcast was going to that play more often. And it, it looked like at least in one opportunity where it was really rolling against Portland, Alvin Gentry kept going to that. So we'll see if more trends like that uh, continue moving forward. It's tough because the Kings have also had some injuries. So it's hard to assess, you know, fully what Alvin Gentry wants to do with this roster. But I would say, you know, the, the biggest thing is the Kings were losing a shit ton of games for a while and they're two and two under Alvin Gentry. So that's some progress if you want to look at it that way. Money McNair said that, uh, I mean, Money McNair is always going to be cagey in these press conferences in which he has to explain decisions that he's trying to make or things he wants to do. And one of the things that we could kind of clearly pin down on him is that he thought that the Kings, he wanted the Kings to play even faster, that with Aaron Fox on this team and with the roster that he built, he'd like them to be one of the fastest teams in the NBA. They're already six in the NBA before Luke Walton got fired and pace and maybe pace is an imperfect stat here, but I'm curious, Jerry, as to, you know, putting on your GM cap a little bit, do you think that that that's an issue where you could feel Luke Walton was, was, uh, should have been fired for, or, or where would you moving forward, knowing that you're now in the hot seat because the coach that you have scapegoated is gone where would you build quickly to, uh, to turn this thing around? Well, uh, I don't know if you could turn around quickly, but I'll say, I will say <laughs> this. I, I, I don't agree with Monty's assessment. I mean, I'll say that right up front. I, I mean, this team, uh, it's not about pace. Uh, they, they're playing probably faster than they can, they can play at as it is, uh, as, as the assist to turnover ratio might tell you. Uh, but, you know, I, I I, I wouldn't be concerned about that at all. I'd be more concerned about really having more structure offensively. Uh, if you want to play at a faster pace, a lot of times that starts with defense, uh, by the way, and requiring your guards to maybe pick up somewhere before the uh, free throw line uh, might be a good start. Uh, you know, uh, just how about you got five guards, uh, go out there and pressure, pick up. Make them use shot clock time, uh, force more turnovers. Get, that gets you out in the open court. But, uh, you know, the idea of – because everybody says that. Let's play with pace. Let's play with pace. Uh, to do what? Uh, to sure. shoot shoot tough shots in the open court? To take bad threes or have bad three-point shooters shooting? Hey, I got smarter today. Uh, really, I led, I read the article by Tim Maxwell, uh, yeah. you know, in the Herald and about the three – I mean – Quite honestly, I, 
my eyeballs told me that too, by the way. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> but I, I I thought you know it's really true. It's like you know it's pretty clear. It's uh, why why are you in a hurry to have poor shooters? shooting shooting three-point shots <laughs> i mean i mean when when harrison barnes your best three-point shooter really is getting fewer of them than guys who are poor three-point shooters i'm just uh, you know it's a little harder wrap your head around but that's uh so anyway but i like i say i think i got a little smarter reading that article but but to me yeah that focusing on pace i think is a uh, an error Fo- focus on being effective uh, focus on you know being being more productive that's what i would say i, I might have been a little hasty here too in, in presenting that that monty mcnair was the one on the hot seat and i'm curious tony i'll go to you first and then i want to hear jerry on this too do you feel like monty mcnair is the one on the hot seat or do you feel like the players the the roster is currently constructed is due for a big blow up if monty mcnair doesn't have his way or if the kings don't start turning it around by say the all-star break I would say I think the players have a hotter hot seat, but I think Monty McNair, something he said in his press conference, and I'm glad you brought it up, Will, because I forgot about it until you you mentioned uh, what he said after firing Luke Walton, but he said that he thought that even at the beginning of the season when the Kings were playing well, that he thought they should have been even better when they were kind of at their peak under Luke Walton. And to me, that makes me, uh, it gives me a couple different thoughts, but one, I get a little bit concerned with Monty McNair that maybe he thinks this roster is a little bit more capable that he is, that, than it is, or maybe he thought he made some bigger additions this offseason than he actually did, because this team was, in my opinion, sort of overachieving at the beginning of the year, and then certainly underachieving during Luke Walton's tough stretch. We talked about it losing seven of eight, but if he thinks that this roster should be massively outperforming how they played at the beginning of the season when they were playing really well, then I sort of question, uh, you know, maybe his evaluate evaluation ability somewhat, or at least, you know, being realistic about his own roster. So that's where his hot seat could come into play too. Cause if he's telling ownership or Joe Dumars, whoever his other executives are that, Hey, we should be so good that we should be even better than we played at the beginning of the season. You almost put a target on your own back when you don't live up to those expectations, because uh, hearing him say that they should be, they should have started the season better than they did was kind of eye-opening to me. It made me think, huh, like how good do you think this roster actually is? Because I watch the NBA every night and you know, they're okay. They have some talent, but there are a lot of teams with a lot more talent. Absolutely. Jerry, I'm curious what you think. Do you feel like uh, Monty McNair is the one with the hotter seat or do you think uh, he's going to be able to make a big swing or will be forced to make a big swing before he gets his chance on the chopping block? Well, I, I do think it, it's probably warmed up some. You know, I mean, let's face it, uh, you know, you change coaches and and certainly we know higher up that uh, expectations uh, get pretty dramatic sometime. I always said I think this franchise is the biggest problem, I think, for it right now. It has delusions of mediocrity, uh, you know, that uh, that's a goal is to get to some low level of mediocrity. And, and I mean, and that's in, in that much. Being mediocre isn't a shame, but that, that's not what you should strive for. <laughs> you know, Amen, that's all. Amen. I mean, it, it, I mean, it ha- it's, it's, it's a step towards something more, but that shouldn't be your goal. Anyway, that's just my, my kind of thought on the thing. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think in general, though, I think general managers always think the roster is better than it is yeah. because they're the ones that went and got the guys they drafted them. And if they sure. did traded for them, so they, they always see the positives. And, and I, then I, I honestly think uh, GMs that have never coached 
Uh, bottom line is they haven't coached. You know, they haven't had to tell somebody to go blank yourself. You ain't playing <laughs> or had a player tell you to go blank yourself because you, sh I should be playing. Uh, you know, if you haven't been in the locker room, then you haven't been in one. And so there, there's a real different world uh, of uh, situations. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's why I've always said, thought that quite honestly, why the, some of the great general managers in, in history had, you know, the Pat Riley's or, or, or Jerry West or Larry Bird's have certainly kind of understood what was in the locker room because they, they, they'd coached besides been players, you know, real advantage. Well, Jerry, that leads me to another question then that I'll take a little bit off sidetrack. When was a time where you built a roster where you felt like it was better than what it was? And when was your wake-up call to it not being very good? Oh, it, well, actually, that wake-up call came right away. I mean, I, I, I don't think I was ever fooled that way, uh, okay. quite honestly. You know, I, I mean, there was times when I, I, we had a bad roster, and I, I felt like there was a couple of things we could do to make it a lot better, and I wasn't allowed to, so I resigned. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was the way I held. I said, no, if you, you know, uh, I just don't really – enjoy being drubbed unnecessarily uh you know but uh, uh yeah I, do, I don't think i ever and, and i always looked at it this way uh, having been a coach uh i always felt like a, the coach should not have anybody traded on his roster that he doesn't want mm. or traded off his roster that he doesn't want to lose i really felt strongly about that and and i think too many too many i don't think that's necessarily the way it works in today's game too many analytics guys or whatever they plug in a bunch of numbers on a spreadsheet or something and say well this will this will work well there's a little i just think there's a little more to it than that and sure. uh, and if your coach don't want somebody or does want somebody and lose them uh, creates uh, creates a lot of problems and so i don't dance around the whole thing but uh, bottom line is uh you know if you're not if you're not winning games you're not good enough you know, sure. period. That's it. And uh, you, if I'm Monty McNair, you're not winning games enough. You need to be looking around as how can you strengthen the team? And you have nobody, nobody that is untradeable. I do not see uh, Magic Johnson on this roster. I do not see Kevin Durant on this roster. So for anybody that thinks somebody's not tradable, of course they're tradable. If you get somebody, it'll make you better. Absolutely. All right, now I'm going to ask here only because we, we did have somewhat varying opinions coming into the season here, and so I want each of your um, each of your opinions on this. Have your expectations changed with the firing of Luke Walton? Is it lower since the beginning of the season? Is it uh, about the same? It, uh, you know, where I, I assume neither of you are higher now. Like, oh, now that we've got Alvin Gentry, now we're headed to the moon. But I, I'm curious on what you guys think and how much your expectations have changed since the firing of Luke Walton. Well, mine, mine uh, probably, I, I would say, honestly, that my expectations are probably a little better, to be honest with you, because I think Alvin Gentry will do a better job. I think he will improve this team. Now, uh, is it, are my expectations as high now, even with the coaching change as they were before the season started and early in the season? No, because mm -hmm. uh, I really felt the talent level was significantly better than they played. And so, so I'm a little disappointed, obviously, in my own judgment, uh, number one, uh, but certainly uh, the results. So, but I do think uh, this team will 
I think in the next 20 games, we'll see probably a little more consistent team. I'll be surprised if we don't. Sure. Tony, what about you? Yeah, I kind of thought this team would be a 10 seed in the West um, based on the roster. And I, I still think they're basically heading in that direction. I don't know if the coaching change has a, a huge factor for me. I think they'll be a little bit better. I think Gentry is a better coach than Walton, especially for this team. It just seemed like Walton had uh, had run out of answers with, with the roster issues. And Gentry is just a fresh look at things, at least. But uh, part of my, I guess, I don't even want to call it optimism, but part of my reasoning that my expectations hasn't changed despite some bad losses, especially the one against Memphis, is that the West is so, uh, I guess I would say, even in that it's not great. Uh, the Kings right now are only three and a half games behind Dallas, who is a four seed. And that doesn't mean I think the Kings are going to make the fourth seed. It's just that the West, it, it's there's such a middle of the pack there. And the Kings are firmly within, you know, reach of, of who knows what seed in the playoffs with, I think like 75% of the season left. So for whatever the Kings have done wrong or right this season, as of now, you know, 20 games in, they are right in the play and mix kind of how I expected. And we'll see how Alvin Gentry's adjustments maybe adjust my expectations moving forward. But at least for now, it's basically the same. Yeah. You know, that's a great point, Tony. And I, I, I was looking at the standings today a little bit. And then my thoughts, you know, you got to me, you only got three teams, you know, are in, in, in my mind, you know, with Golden State and yeah. Phoenix and Utah. Uh, and I think it's, uh, and and we, I'm not saying that, you know, that certain, uh, whether it's a Clippers or Denver, whoever can't be fourth, but I, I think that whole thing is so jumbled yep. that due to, yep. due to injuries, uh, maybe disappointing play, a, a lot of things that, uh, and, and I'm like, you know, I don't think the King's going to be fourth, but uh it's a, it's, there's still a lot of games to play and just slight improvement, mm -hmm. slight yeah. improvement uh, uh, gives you a chance. And then the second part is just who scares you, be, you know, yeah. really those three teams do. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying you couldn't beat any of them because I think this team could beat any of them on a given night, but they're not as good and won't be as good, <laughs> you know, of those three. But I, I mean, Dallas, uh, you know, basically it, it, if Luca's not having a strong game, uh, Dallas is not going to beat very many teams. I think if you run down the list from from four to where the Kings are, you got Dallas that has a a, a bad coach and Jason Kidd, but they have Luka Doncic and a bunch of role players. You got the Clippers that are hanging on to Paul George, and if Paul George goes down for even a couple of weeks, they could slide out of there. the 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 Trailblazers are, are number six at ten and ten, and they've won one game on the road this season. And the Kings are the only team to beat them at home. So they're obviously beatable. You know, it's early in the season because the Timberwolves are the seventh seed at 10 and 10. That's how I know yep. everything is up in the air. If the Timberwolves are playing 50, 50 ball, which they're playing good basketball, you know, you know, that at some point the Timberwolves want to be the Timberwolves, you know, fate just <laughs> says that they're going to get go bad for a little while. And, and they're, you know, they're tied with the Lakers and the Lakers, they look old. Jerry, you would get minutes on that team. I think so. I, I think so. You know, I, yeah. that was one of the things that uh, struck me with the Laker game. You know, it's like, boy, LeBron and Davis, yeah. especially LeBron as great as he is. And I mean, I don't mean, but he's not, he's not the same LeBron. He just isn't. I thought the classic right. move no. I saw, I was when he had Marvin Bagley on him on the, on the, on the wing yep. and didn't yes. even try to take him off the dribble, went out to the top of the key and shot a three. I said to myself, I said to myself, self, yeah. 
LeBron ain't the same, but he's <laughs> you know he's old when he takes 10 seconds and four jab steps to consider Marvin Bagley and goes, I'm gonna back it out. I'm gonna go ahead and get out of here. Yeah, it's a great call, like, Jerry. I noticed the same exact play. I was like, yeah. oh man. <laughs> but then after that, you've got the Grizzlies that have the worst defense in the league without John Morant. You have the Nuggets who have Jokic injured and Michael Porter Jr., who's a big part of that team, is out for the season with a back injury. And then it's the Kings. Yeah. And so, like, the Kings could very well, with 75% of the game left in the season, be in the top eight or the top six and be more disappointing than what we thought they'd play and still end up with a better seed than what we thought they'd have. Yeah, I mean, I really, I, I agree with all that. I mean, that's why I think, you know, getting ready to, uh, you know, gnash your teeth and all that stuff, it's just a little early for that because mm-hmm. uh, this team, you know, it's, it's up to, to Alvin a lot and certainly he needs to put some – put some uh, pressure on a few guys, I think. Uh, but, uh, you know, th- this thing is open. I mean, you look at, like, say, at Denver, I mean, my goodness, they're, they're, they're really you – know Murray, or whether he can come back. And certainly with, without uh, Kevin Porter Jr., which, by the way, that's one of my rants on, on the league. It's like, yep. well, that was really brilliant signing that long-term deal uh, last year to mm-hmm. satisfy them. He, he had one good year in his third year. You know, it, it, like, I mean, I'm off the topic here, but fans bear with me here. Cause I mean, you know, you know, you know, I always, I'm, I'm really firm on wait until the restricted free agency period. That's what it's for to protect small market teams from doing dumb things. <laughs> and uh, there it is. I mean, you know, the guy plays 10 games or five games at Missouri as a, a freshman because of back problems. He's drafted lower because of that. He goes to, to Denver, the 14th pick, slips because of that. Misses his first year in the league because of back surgery. <laughs> Plays his, the next year, okay. Then the next year, he's really good. And guess what this year? He's got back problems. Yep. Duh. <laughs> now, and getting ready to start. Start a, a five-year big money deal next year, and I read where Denver said, "Well, they, they're looking at the the long-range thing of it. They're not concerned." I said, "You better damn be concerned. Yeah. The long the long-range thing is probably sadly the guy's got guess what back problems." Yeah, Jerry Michael Porter Jr. is a classic example of how I know the Kings are cursed one way or another because the the rumors coming out of that 2018 draft was that. It was a two-horse race for the number two pick in Vladi, and it wasn't Luca and Marvin, but it was Marvin and Michael Porter Jr. And that if the Kings thought Michael Porter Jr.'s back was good, they'd have picked him second. I know that for a fact. Yes, that is absolute fact. I've heard Vladi say that. So yeah. uh, fortunately, uh, he, he didn't because of the back problem. <laughs> sure, uh, but so for me, it's one of those things. It's like at least I didn't get the other way either, because it would have been just as hard for us to pick Michael Porter Jr. second, where everyone would have gone, "Wow, okay, we thought we he, he might have slipped a bit," and then have him be promising, only to like lose him again to a back injury. Where you're like, "Okay, now the entire future of this franchise is is tied up in De'Aaron Fox and a guy whose back is made of of wafers." Yeah, and so we would have lost either way. I don't yeah. have to, I don't have to fret about Luka Doncic anymore because it would have never been Luka Doncic. It w- it would have been a guy with saltines for for discs 
or it had been Marvin Bagley. And so we were screwed. Yeah, and I, I don't want to get, you know, I mean, I think Michael Porter Jr. is just a marvelous talent, you know, coming out of high yes. school. I mean, uh, you know, and I wish him well, I, but I just know the history of these things. And certainly we just talked about his history. I mean, it, you just hope it all works out for the young man. But but boy, oh boy, there's no reason to believe that it's going to to be a long-term solution, I guess is what I'm saying. And, <laughs> and uh, wow, anyway. I'm off. I got off topic. Couldn't help it. Tony, let's let's hear your thoughts on Michael Porter Jr. I need to know what you think now. <laughs> <laughs> I take him over Marvin Bagley. That's my final thoughts. Yeah, yeah. You know, let's let's talk about Marvin. We'll we'll move a little bit order a, a little bit out of order here from what I have written down. But Marvin ended up playing some really huge minutes in that Los Angeles win, and we were talking about it a little bit earlier, uh, Jerry. Uh, what do you think of Marvin's return to the fold? I thought you know until the Memphis game, I thought he played very well. Uh, you know, gave him. Uh, you know, looked like he's really trying very, to play defense. Uh, certainly uh, moved the ball better, uh, made shots, uh, rebounded, which was really, I thought, that what this team really is needed. I mean, they need mm -hmm. rebounding at that position, you know, and if, you're, if you think Mo Harkless is going to give you that, you, I, got a, I got some land back in Indiana I can give you a deal <laughs> on. Uh, but uh, but I, I thought, you know, like I say, except Memphis, uh, I think he deserves – uh, deserves time you know I think he's earned that and so we'll see where it goes from there you know I think like I say he's part of I think makes the bench his his uh, production has made the bench better uh, and so you know hopefully you get that from him and there's no downside I mean the way he's played it is he certainly his value has to be improved so whether playing him in, in, in a certain role or, or for trade purposes, it's still a positive, I think. Yeah. I, I, the one thing I noticed more than anything was that he was kind of playing within himself. This was the first time I saw Marvin not trying to be the guy or the go-to guy or doing too much. Uh, I think he hit a corner three, a clutch corner three, either in the, was it the Blazers game or the Lakers game where he hit a corner three Portland, he hit two of them. They don't win that yeah. game without him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it was, he just hit those threes and that was it. Like he wasn't trying to force the issue. He wasn't trying to do too much. He, he was playing a role and he was playing it incredibly well. And so uh, uh, we spoke last time about, about Marvin and I said, he might as well have passed away. You know, he's, he, he could be going home. He could whatever. And I wouldn't care. And so seeing him play well, I still feel that way that like we're playing with house money here. As long as Marvin doesn't shatter into a million pieces, like this is only going to improve his trade stock. Uh, this is only going to, you know, further help the team in one way or another. So I'm, I'm good with them playing as many minutes as they want to give them. Tony, what, what did you think about Marvin's return? Well, I think, you know, Memphis game, we can kind of throw that one away for a minute. I thought it was, it was good to see him play. He played well to your point. Will. I agree a hundred percent. It was so, so much of Marvin Bagley's minutes as an NBA pro has been at least from the outside looking in like Marvin Bagley aggressively trying to score and prove that he's the number two pick, prove that he's the guy he he told everyone he was going to be heading into the draft and all that. In this recent stretch, and it's a small sample size, I saw a Marvin Bagley that was just trying to play basketball. And I think that's at least partly because he's realized, his agent, his team, whoever, that his value is nothing. And if he's going to refuse to check in when Luke Walton is his head coach and play minutes and also no one, on, no one else in the league wants him, this is him fighting for his next contract, his NBA career, however you want to put it. I don't think it's that dramatic to put it in those terms. Who knows what minutes he would get somewhere else. So he, he got these very limited minutes. He's playing in a way that seems to be productive and it doesn't disrupt anything. Cause I think 
in the past, Bagley has been sort of a disruptive offensive player where he shoots too much. He doesn't pass out of the post. It's, it's too focused on him scoring, him making plays. In these four games, it was a lot, again, aside from the Memphis game, it was quick decisions, quick shots, moving the ball, playing hard defense, you know, not always great defense, but playing pretty hard, rebounding the ball well. And he, he's playing like the role player that he is on this team right now. The, the next point I would say is that uh, I've seen just about enough of Chemezi Metu and Mo Harkless, but Metu is the guy who's been starting recently. And at this point, and I hope Gentry does something here, and I, you know, I don't want to reinflate whatever Bagley's bad habits were by having him back in the starting lineup. But Metu is just giving this team nothing offensively. He's actually been a, a very disruptive and poor offensive player for this team. Marvin Bagley has been better across the board since Gentry took over. Um, so that's sort of my takeaway from these Marvin Bagley minutes is, all right, now they actually need someone to step in and play the four for this roster. I'm pretty confident it's not going to be Chemezi Metu. And to me, Marvin Bagley's the guy who, shout out to him, has deserved the next shot at, at taking that starting four spot. One thing too, I, I will agree with that. I, I think with Metu, if you if he's going to play, uh, there needs to be a come to Jesus moment with him pretty yeah. quick. Uh, so somebody it kind of goes along with Tim Maxwell's uh, column, you know, a little bit. It's like uh, I don't know why you think, you know, you evidently think you've got a green light, but we're putting this thing on on caution, if not red, and uh, or your little butt's going to just get planted right there because I mean I think he can be a player but he's not playing like it he's playing very selfishly and uh taking bad shots and really not doing the you know in, in effect I think he's one of those guys a little bit like Marvin was a year ago trying to be star when that is not needed or required and in his case it ain't he ain't capable and so I, I think sometimes I don't know knowing Alvin I, I'd be surprised if that little talk doesn't come up, you know, a little bit at some point, you might have to hurt somebody's feelings. I know this is a, you know, a tender era where, uh, you know, you, you might, might get a lawsuit, <laughs> but I, I think with Metu, if he's going to be an NBA player, he better understand it's going to be as a role player and you better understand it and learn quick, or you might be the next Scalabissier, you know, or whoever. Yeah, uh, Tim pointed out that um, Metu's jacking up uh, almost five threes a game and shooting like 25% from, from deep. So he's he's not helping anyone. And I think Tim even mentioned that in games in which Metu played, Harrison Barnes' three-point attempts go way down because Metu is pulling shots that probably could have swung one more time over to Harrison Barnes, a, a much, much better, much more capable three-point shooter. Yeah, there needs to be a, you know, to me, that's one of those things. And I mean, I, I really don't understand why that's complicated. It needs to be pointed out just to the team at some point. It's like, hey, uh, do you know who Harrison Barnes is? Uh, you know, let's let him shoot more and you shoot less, you know. Sure. All you guys, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> all of you great three-point shooters who aren't great three-point shooters need to understand who is doing the best right now. And uh, so, yeah, very, very disappointing with Matt too, just in particular, not that there's, like say, I'm already off the uh, ship for Harkless and Davis anyway, but so I'm, I'm close to, I'm not quite off of him like, like Tony, but I'm, I'm getting there and I'm getting there. I'm curious, Jerry, only because you brought up Davis um, going into the season, Buddy Heald was kind of that it, he was nearly traded to the Los Angeles Lakers. We brought him in thinking, okay, he'll be a super sub until the time comes that we need to trade Buddy Heald for whatever assets we can get for him. 
does Terrence Davis falling off an absolute cliff, um, you know, kind of make uh, Monty McNair hesitate on trading Buddy Heald this season? Well, uh, that's a great question. I don't think so. It depends on the deal. You know, it's always sure. about the deal. Uh, you know, it's like if you'd felt that way, you know, like with the Laker deal, maybe you'd have, in the same circumstances where arise, you might have asked for Caldwell Pope instead of, so you know what I mean? So you just do it, do it a little different. But uh, yeah, you couldn't have much faith right now that Terrence Davis could step in there. I was one of those people that thought he could. And, 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 and I've seen him play better, certainly with Toronto and the Kings. And it's not saying that uh, given a different role at a different time, it might work for him. But clearly you can't count on it now and you can't worry about it. I mean, the point is you can't worry about it right now. But if I'm, uh, but if I've got a deal for Buddy that I like, then that you know, if you're money and you say this team, this should make our team stronger going forwards in the future, you do it. Sure. Uh, you've got enough guards here, and uh, anyway, but uh, you know, and then certainly, you know, you got guys like you know, and Ramsey, uh, Ram, James Ramsey. I, I mean, yeah, he's intriguing. I mean. You know, I mean, I think he's capable of being an NBA player. Probably I'd like to see him. If you think you got to play uh, another guard, you know, I'd, I'd sure like to see him give him some some chance there over Davis at this stage. And, of course, I'd rather see Luke Lewis King get minutes over all of them. You know, yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, I don't know if he can do it, but I, I know pretty sure some of them can't. So, uh, <laughs> so why not see if he can, uh, you know, less, you know, you're not going to be measuring for a ring anytime soon. So, uh, oh, sure. <laughs> as the Aaron Fox, so, uh, so sadly pointed out very recently that the Kings aren't, aren't in the playoffs and they're not playing for a championship right now. So, so th some things have to change here. Uh, Tony, I wanted to talk to you about Darren Fox for a second. Um, is he back? I know we've we've seen some good games from him, but do you consider De'Aaron Fox of old back and, and moving forward, or does he still have something left to prove here before we can officially declare De'Aaron Fox back on this team as the leader of, of, of the squad? I won't declare him 100% back, but I will say that uh, for as awful as he was in October, he's been a lot better in November if you look at the splits. And if you drill that down even further um, – in those three games prior to the Memphis game, and there's we can excuse the Memphis game to some degree, or at least I will in a minute. I know a lot of guys won't, won't want to, mm. but before that Memphis game, under Alvin Gentry, Darren Fox was playing uh, incredibly well, averaging 26 points per game on 50% shooting. You can't ask for more than that during the first three games of the Alvin Gentry era. The Memphis game was a disaster. I do think one thing you have to, or maybe you don't have to, but one thing I will excuse for Fox there is that he was, he was without his vertical threat in Rashawn Holmes, and he was without his uh, front court shooter in Harrison Barnes. For as bad as that Memphis team is, when you're starting Terrence Davis and Chemezi Metu, you're not very good either. So <laughs> I don't want to put the entirety of the Memphis game all on Fox's shoulder. So if you'll, if you'll come with me on this ride where we excuse that loss for a minute, uh, Fox, again, in those three games prior to Memphis, 50% shooting, 26% from the field, I mean, 26 points per game. That's a that's great a great run. Let's hope it continues and and just forget that Memphis game ever happened. Jerry, what do you think of that? Well, <laughs> I mean, I think everything Tony said was true. I, but uh, say looking at the bigger picture to date, I mean, I, I was looking at some interesting stats, things that I believe in. I'm not a analytics guy per se, but I mean, with with using Fox and Buddy are the guys who have taken the most shots 
on this team. They've taken the most shots. Okay. And, and they're averaging about, uh, they're getting 37 and a half points on 32 and a half shots. Well, that's not very good. You know, that, that, that kind of production will probably get you 20 wins here. Okay. Conversely, uh, Harrison Barnes and Holmes are getting 33 and a half points on 20, less than 21 shots. Now that, that wins, that's called winning numbers. Now, so in other words, Buddy and, and Fox are taking 12 more shots or producing four more points. Well, you don't have to be a math major to figure that out. So, so, so to answer your question is, no, the guys taking the most shots have not been productive enough. And certainly you start with Fox. Now, as Tony pointed out, three of the four games uh, under, under Alvin, uh, he has been. And certainly the fourth, if you want to discount that, I don't because they they, they still count as W's and L's. So I'll, I'll, count, I'll count that. And and so, but, so that's where we are. I mean, I'll, I'll gladly uh, give him a pass once we string together about another six, seven games of, of, of productive offense, you know, and, and that goes for Buddy too. Mm-hmm. The guys shooting the most shots need to be productive. And if they're not productive, don't be surprised if you don't win, <laughs> you know, that look at the top of the lineup. Don't worry about who the ninth and 10th men are uh, when you're, when you're trying to look at the WNL column. Another guy I want to talk about now is um, Halliburton and, and Tyrese Halliburton. Mostly I want to talk about his shooting hesitancy. We saw uh, in the game against Philly where he was playing a bench unit in which he, he could have gotten anything he pretty much wanted to. He shot 0 of 5. He took five total shots against against the uh, against the Sixers bench. Uh, he follows that up with a game um, against the Blazers where he shoots two of nine. He then we, they then go to LA where he he suddenly is back to form. He shoots uh, seven of 15. Uh, has has a, has a really good game there. And then in in a game against Memphis where he only played 20 minutes because it was a blowout pretty early. Again, he shoots one of four. Uh, I'm curious, Jerry. What do you see with Tyrese Halberton where he is so hesitant to shoot? Is it, is it a selfish, you know, is it an unselfish thing? Is it something where he he's got the yips? Uh, is this just scheme in which they're just not running plays for him or, or he's deferring in order to get Fox started? What the hell's happening with Tyrese Halberton here? And how do we get him back to playing like he was uh, his rookie season? Yeah. It's, I mean, really, I, I think it's a little bit, you know, combination, combination of everything you said. I, I definitely think he's, not aggressive enough. I mean, he, he does seem like he wants to get everybody involved to a fault. And, and I mean, that's one of his strengths. He, I don't think there's a selfish bone in his body and he wants to get people uh, involved and, and the Kings have got some selfish guys on the team, but, but he's not one of them. And, uh, but uh, you're not helping the team turning down open shots when you're a really good shooter. And he's, and he's done that. And uh he, he just hadn't been aggressive enough offensively in my mind. And, and I think it's showing up. And, and I think, uh, you know, to your last point, I think is accurate too. I, I've seen a little bit of the yips, you know, showing, especially on the little floaters in the lane, which he seemed like he always made. And now they're coming up short, you know, uh, barely getting to the rim a few times. And so a little concerned, but, but uh, he's a young guy, hard worker, uh, but, but it's disappointing. I don't think he's played nearly as well, you know, sure. uh, uh, early on here. And, and for, you know, and I'm one of those guys that's thought, hey, this Fox and Halliburton can be one of the elite, elite uh, guard lines for years to come. 
I think the potential is still there, mm -hmm. but but if you started to look at guard lines in the league now, uh, you'd have to rate them lower than you would have a year ago. Absolutely. And I mean, so that so that can't be encouraging. So at some point, uh, you know, here again, uh, Halliburton in the same boat. Uh, you know, you need you know, <laughs> some point. Yeah, you're a great rookie. Well, that was last year. Uh, yes. this, this is this is big boy league. You got to you got to prove yourself every night uh, in this league. If you're coach Jerry, how do you how do you go about getting Halliburton his confidence back or whatever? Is this a matter of sitting down and talking with him? Is this a, just a matter of scheming, or are you you're setting him up for more shots rather than getting him uh, you know assist opportunities? Where where would you get go to uh, to bring Halliburton back to form? <laughs> You know, I mean, obviously every player is different. I don't know uh, him as, as well enough to say this, but just from watching him and getting a feel for it, uh, I would think he's the kind of guy, yeah, you, you know, the best thing would just have a nice little conversation. Several of them as very, you know, he's a nice, very polite conversation. Look, uh, what can we do to help you? You're not playing as well. You sure. do know that, right? And uh, what, 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 where are you good on the court? What, can you do better? You know, in other words, tell me what we can do to help you. And, and then I, I'll give you some thoughts about how you can help yourself type thing. You know, uh, you know, I always say it's like, uh, you know, education, always uh, try to have a couple of positive things if you want to throw out a negative thing. And, <laughs> and then, so I, I definitely have four or five positive things I'd want to talk to him about before I got into a couple of the negative <laughs> things that I definitely want to talk to him about. Tony, what do you think about all of this? Well, Halliburton, I mean, the, the there's a concept of a sophomore slump in the NBA and a lot of sports leagues. This could be part of that, at least, especially for Halliburton. He's kind of getting hit on multiple sides when it comes to this sophomore slump idea. One, he played against bench units last year, and he was the primary scorer off the bench last year. Now he's playing uh, against starting units, much better defenses. And also he's probably the fourth option in the starting lineup behind Fox, Holmes, and Barnes. So there's some, there's some issues that he needs to adjust and work around there for sure. Also, this is sort of a, a bigger picture Halliburton thing, and his three-point attempts are down. He's shooting one less three this year than he did last year in three more minutes. So in theory, he should be shooting more threes. He's getting more minutes. Um, and it's also his second year. You would think, you know, this is an area where he really helps the team. He's a 40% three-point shooter. But something I've noticed about his three-point shot, and this is just a eye test thing. I don't know. Maybe the numbers don't totally bear this out. But it seems to me like he's taking deeper threes this year. And part of that is because he has such a, a slow windup and release that teams can close out on him uh, with a shorter window than maybe other shooters. And I've noticed a lot of deep threes from Halliburton this year. I've also noticed just the, the way he like gathers and launches up the three kind of take, takes him a little bit of time. He doesn't have a quick trigger like Buddy Heald or Harrison Barnes. I don't know if a shot form is something you can adjust or even want to mess with in season. But for him to sort of uh, maximize his ceiling, maximize his potential, it'd be nice to see him quicken up his release, maybe adjust it because it's kind of funky in the first place. Um, because him being a 40% three-point shooter is something the Kings need to exploit more. He needs to be taking more of them. There's no way that he should be taking, you know, the same amount of threes as someone like Darren Fox or as we referenced Tim's uh, article about Chemezi Metu shooting more threes than him. There needs to be a, a more established hierarchy of who gets what shots. But I do think Hal Burton's release might be what is sort of uh, setting him back from his from his three-point shot. Yeah, you know, I'll take one other thought on that is I'm convinced, uh, you know, from watching him and, and this season is, uh, hey, he, it's called scouting. 
Yeah. Now, this league is smart and defensive. They, they, they've spotted, uh, you know, this little bit of the erratic delivery on the shot and all that. And then the second part of it is, uh, you know, you can close out on him harder because he really doesn't have an escape jump shot. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, in other words, uh, if, if he can't really get into the all the way to the floating area, uh, you know, it's not like a, a buddy healed who, you know, can, can escape and shoot the 20 footer, you know, quick jump shot off. And really, I, I, you know, I, I've seen him try to do that once or twice and it's, it's not very uh, beautiful thing right yeah. now. So he, he has to learn that because, and I'm confident that's, that's part of it that defensively you can say, Hey, we can really go challenge him and, and, uh, and push him off the line. You can, uh, you know, the three point shot, you can guard that and push guys off, but, but uh, you're usually like a great shooter like Steph Curry, then he's going to step inside and, and bury the little 18 footer or that, that sort of thing. And, and he just doesn't have that shot in my opinion. And he better get it. You know, I mean, you just got to get it. I mean, I always thought that, you know, one of the greatest players that the Kings ever had, Mitch Richmond, uh, you know, he obviously could shoot the three, but what a great two point shooter he was, mm-hmm. you know, the escape dribble and, and get in about 17, 18 feet. Yeah, it was one of those. Uh, it was it was the Philadelphia game where they they said pregame they'd hyped it up that like oh his mother was sitting courtside and Tyrese had gotten flowers for her and he'd written something on his shoes and I went oh the Philly bench is here Tyrese Albert's going to put forty points up he's just gonna, he's just going to go for for forty and fifteen this will be his signature game with his mom there and then he went oh five he had nine assists which was great but like. I went, what the hell is going on here? You know, it was just one of those things where I finally had to come. I had my own come to Jesus moment. Where like, all right, Ty- Tyrese Halliburton is not playing like Tyrese Halliburton this season. And, and, and it needs to stop. If, if the Kings, have, if the Kings are going to have a chance, get into the playing game, Tyrese Halliburton needs that swag back. Like he had last year against everybody's bench and, and he doesn't have it right now. So it's time for them to, uh, to solve that problem for me, the, the, the selfish Kings fan. Well, he can, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's got all it takes to be a really good player. And, and sometimes you don't know what your weaknesses are until they're pointed out. And I think this year uh, the league is pointing them out for him. hundred percent. Let's let's go to our uh, uh, Patreon question of the day. All right. Thanks, Will. Every episode of this podcast, we ask one question from our Kings Herald patrons or the Kings Herald community. Uh, every question that gets submitted, if we don't answer it on the main show, we'll do a Patreon exclusive Q&A once a month and answer all the leftover questions. This week's question comes from Tall Skinny Ben on Twitter, and he wants to know what one move would general manager Jerry Reynolds make to shake up this team? Ooh. Tough one. Well, I mean, I think you'd, you know, it would have to be a trade at this stage, and so but you don't know what trade you can make. I, I'm not trying to cop out here, but I don't know you know, what assets, I, I know what assets you have. Uh, the only thing I, I would say to you is just like I've said before, is that I would say every player on the Kings is tradable. And uh, there's nobody that I wouldn't trade for the right deal. So, and I think, uh, you know, to, to, to have a chance to really change the roster and the team uh, for the better, not, and not saying it would be better, it could always be worse. Uh, but I, I think you'd have to, to be very aggressive and trying to make some trades. And I think that's, that's it. Uh, and then who that could bring, you know, whether it's Pascal Siakam or, or, or someone like that. I mean, yeah, if you can get a Pascal Siakam, I think with this team, I think uh, depending on what you had to give up, you'd be better. 
<laughs> Can I adjust this question for a second and, and ask Jerry something? Uh, maybe get a Ben Simmons check in. Um, Jake Fisher, Bleacher Reports, Jake Fisher, also a previous guest on this podcast, uh, had another report kind of go a little bit viral on Twitter where he mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago that Hal Burton and Fox were off the table in any uh, Ben Simmons trades. And then Carmichael Dave from KHTK kind of quote tweeted it and responded back. Um, this report is probably old and that is almost certainly not the case anymore, meaning that maybe Fox and or Halliburton are on the table for a, for a Ben Simmons trade. Jerry, I know uh, you may have answered this before, but checking in at this point, would you trade or, or would you be comfortable adding a De'Aaron Fox or a Tyrese Halliburton into a Ben Simmons trade at this stage? I wouldn't be totally scared to. I'd have to yeah. consider it. Uh, you know, I haven't said that. See, I don't think Philly would have much interest in either, to be honest with you. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, Tyrese Maxey is an emerging player there. And I mean, and, and at the right price. Sure. So I, and, and certainly Seth Curry fits very well, uh, you know, at a nice price. And I'm not saying that, that Fox and Halliburton aren't better, but, uh, but I'm also saying you can't say for sure that they are. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> at this stage and so uh, so just on that base yeah i'd like to have ben simmons but i, I just don't know where you go if you're the kings there uh bec partly because of what philly uh would need to get for him and they can probably get somewhere else uh, you know i do think if you had simmons and you know some way you could keep you know fox and in Halliburton. I mean, if that's possible, I don't know, you know, then, then quite honestly, you, I think you could be significantly better, but I don't know how in the world you get him. I, I think you'd have to look a different direction. I mean, I've, I've always said, you know, whether it's look at teams that maybe have really talented guys that are kind of the same position, you know, a little bit of the, the Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown thing, maybe one of those guys, mm -hmm. uh, uh, with the right situation, Pascal Siakam, Gordon Hayward comes to mind. I mean, I love Miles Bridges, but I think Hayward would be yeah. the guy more likely, uh, to be available, but, and he's probably overpaid, but he's awfully good still, uh, you know? And so you kind of look at things like that. I, I mean, I think, you know, if you're, you know, you look at teams that probably got a few more players they can play, whether it's a Cam Reddish in Atlanta, you know, or, or, or maybe even getting Herder, somebody, you know, there's, there's things you can do, uh, but that's how, that's how you'd have to approach it. I think just look who might be available, you know, because of uh, just the team they're on and, and, and they're trying to find minutes for certain guys. And uh, so I, I think, you know, might be some, possibilities there but uh yeah I, I yeah i know i'm dancing around but there to, to say yeah i know exactly what i do yeah yeah i would give up a second round pick and uh and matu for for ben simmons how's that i would <laughs> do that sounds like a good deal i think uh, monty would, would have won that one yeah. um, will do you have a do you have a trade that you like or a player you you would like to target at the stage yeah and i know it's dangerous asking the tank commander what he would do to, to fix right. this team don't that, say poku because that would involve sending everyone to i would just be pulling the trigger on everything give me give me what's that you want to pick give, let me see the pick give it to me take whatever you want it'd be like a garage sale but no uh, it's been fun this season especially having to adjust like okay 
we know that the, we obviously know that the Kings, though, in my mind, they probably should have gone a certain direction. They didn't. So operating from the stance of, all right, now how do they fix this team the way Monty McNair wants to run this team? You know, he's, he's not, he's not going to go Oklahoma city. So, okay, get over it, figure out how, how to win using this roster and using these pieces. And I've got a small one that I think uh, that I think would be certainly attainable, but also would help fix some things for the Kings and, and what they need to do. And that is, uh, that is um, uh, trading for Mo Bamba. And, and I, I know Mo Bamba isn't, he isn't the sexiest name in the world. It isn't the flashiest. It isn't a Gordon Hayward or a Miles Bridges or anything else like that. But Mo Bamba's played all 20 games this season. He's, he's almost averaging a double-double and like 11 points and 10 rebounds. So you get some rebounding out of him. You get some shot blocking because he's averaging just about two blocks a game. But he's also a decent three-point shooter. He's taking more three-point – I mean, he's shooting – I got it here. He's shooting almost 34% from three, which is better than Marvin Bagley, Davion Mitchell, De'Aaron Fox, Chemezi Metu. And all I'm trying to get him to do is replace Chemezi Metu. You know, if, if Rashawn Holmes and him could play switchable in terms of who's guarding power forwards and centers on defense versus offense, if you can space Mo Bamba out to a three-point line sometimes to get some sort of action, he's tall enough where he could, he, he could hold his own on defense. He, he, can, he can hit an open three like we, we beg Alex Len to do. When Alex Len hits a three-pointer uh, against anybody, Kyle Draper and, and Katie Christensen – it was like they, the Kings just won a championship. Uh, yeah. And like Mo Bamba can do that fairly consistently. If he can just do that, then I think the Kings win a few games that they would have lost. And that's enough to put him in the play in. That's enough where you got a young guy. Send Marvin Bagley over there. Send Marvin Bagley in a couple of second round picks or a lottery protected first three years from now that converts into a second round pick if they don't get it. And, and, and find somebody who's young, who has some high upside, who's playing decent right now, who is though in, he's got an injury history has played all 20 games a season so far and, and go get your, go get your eight seed Monty McNair, go get your, go get your seven seed on the last day of the season. So every Kings fan in the world can celebrate you and talk about putting a statue up at golden one center for you. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, uh, we'll say, will uh, bump us. He's uh, certainly yeah. showing something finally. Yeah. And they got Wendell Carter there. He's he's wrapped up with $50, $60 million. Yeah, Wendell, and there's a guy too. You know, as a center, I didn't think he's very good, but they're playing him as a forward and he's really playing well. Uh, you know, yes. So there again, you know, just sometimes getting the guy, the right guy at the right time. And of course, it also has to be pointed out they don't beat anybody. No, that's true. They're also <laughs> incredibly injured. They got like eight guys injured right now. Yeah, it's like, interesting. Now, hey, they got yeah. uh, Markel Fultz coming back. And of course, <laughs> Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs, they got all, all kinds of uh, high, high draft picks. That, uh, and really, right now, Cole Anthony is the best of the bunch. They're just swapping out impressive point guards. The, the impress, you impress, then you get injured, and the next group comes in, and they impress, yeah. and they get injured. Yeah. Then the next one yeah. comes in, you give them an extension, then they get injured, and you swap in. You just swap in and out for ad, ad infinitum. Okay, so let's uh, let's roll then over to uh, to uh, the Reynolds wrap up. Jerry, what do you have for us today? Well, I, I just want to kind of you know I've been on the kind of a rant uh, about the you know feeling sorry a little bit for the Porter kid, but uh, basically uh, the restricted free agents thing, what, how it's not used properly, and teams hurt themselves. But 
I want to get into the John Wall thing one more time. It's like sure. one of the most amazing and embarrassing things to me in the whole league. You pay a guy $45 million and you won't let him play. He wants to play. And basically, uh, you know, they want to trade him. But then they say, well, yeah, but he doesn't want to be a reserve. Well, I don't blame him because he's better than those other guys, <laughs> you know. And, they, and the idea is, well, we're developing these two guys. You know, they're the future. It's like, really? Really? Are you sure of that? What would indicate that, that either one of them are going to ever be as good as John Wall? I'd say there's no indication that either one of them will. So I don't know. It's just, I mean, it, to me, it's like as a franchise, you're – you know, here you want to trade the guy and he wants to play and he wants to be traded. And I'm not a John Wall fan. I don't mean that. I've, but he's a four or five time all-star. Uh, last time I checked, if, if Kevin Porter makes all-star four or five times or Jalen Green, uh, call me when that happens. I, I'll probably, you'll have to put it on my grave, but it, but it, I, I just think it's like, wait a minute, you can develop those guys. Who says you can't develop those two guys with John Wall? There's 96 minutes of guard play, you know, I mean, wouldn't it develop them more to maybe have a better chance of winning, you know, wouldn't that develop young players more to be around a guy who, who's been there, done some pretty good things in his career. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. I just can't, I mean, it just makes me sick. I just get pissed. You know, a guy, a guy, $45 million wants to play and you won't let him play. And you're the dregs of the league. And, and, and you think this is really helping those young players? Yeah, they're getting empty stats every night. Empty stats. That's all they're getting. And as, as, much, as, uh, as much as John Wall makes and as much everything else, I don't think that his play would, would necessarily win them a lot of games either. No. I think they could no. still continue their tank. It's not like he's LeBron James. They'd still be yeah. losing as many games as if he was in. Yeah, and, and I mean, reality is they want to trade him. It's, it's not to say, and, hey, if they start getting pretty good and, and you're worried about that part of it, I mean, he could, you know, probably be willing to come up with a lower back injury or something. You know, that wouldn't be the, you know. But in the meantime, he, he's established that he can play and those teams that might be interested in making a deal for him, and they're not going to if they don't see him play. They're just not. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I... I, I think whoever's uh, anyway, whoever's in charge of that decision uh, needs to be without making decisions soon. <laughs> and Oklahoma city kind of figured this out. You know, Chris Paul had no value. He goes to Oklahoma city. They play him for a year. They trade him for something. Al Horford has no value. They play him for a year. They trade him for something. Houston is, I mean, you're never going to get anything for John Wall. If you don't play him, you can play him and like, we'll yeah. have an impact. The wins, nothing. And at least establish that he's a valuable player and some other team has a terrible contract. They'll swing him. You know, maybe you'll get a little something, a, a second round pick or whatever, just to switch contracts out. You never know. Yeah. You can always trade talent, yeah. even with bad contracts. Just uh, now, you, you know, in John Wall's case, you're, yeah, you're going to have to eat a good part of that, but that is that, wouldn't that be better than eating all of it and getting nothing? That's, that's where they're heading. Anyway, that's the Jerry rant of the year. I'll try to, you know, I'll try to get in a better mood next time, guys. I apologize, but I can't help. It just pisses me off. Luckily, Jerry, you have Sacramento Kings basketball to calm you down and ease you into it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you're, an, you're an evil man, Will. Just, just... Uh, well, for everyone here at the Kings Herald, I'd like to thank you for uh, listening to another episode of us. Uh, of us calmly talk about basketball. 
where we show no passion at all for our team or for the league itself. And uh, thank you for for uh, for sticking with us. And uh, we we'll see you in two weeks when I'm sure two weeks of weird stuff will will have have transpired, and we'll have to talk about all that too. So thanks thanks everyone for listening, and we'll we'll see you in two weeks. Yeah.